This morning's scripture lesson is a fitting uh, start to this series that uh, we begin today on the messages of Jesus, his, his letters, if you will, to uh, these seven churches in Asia, starting with the church at Ephesus. We're talking about the nature of the church, and uh, I still believe in the church. I know there are a lot of people abandoning churches in droves, a lot of people adopting kind of a personal a singular religion in which they just worship kind of on their own. But I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the importance of what God is doing through His church and through this church. So we're going to see what Jesus has to say to the church in the book of Revelation, a book that we often associate with last things. But here in chapters uh, 2 and 3, He speaks to the current reality in the church uh, at, uh, at the first century, but also to the church today. So listen now to God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the, among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yes, this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches... To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I cannot imagine the course of my life, what I might have been over these last 62 and a half years if it hadn't been for you. I thank you for being with me even as I was being formed in my mother's womb. I thank you that as an early teen, I was confirmed in the faith and soon thereafter, began to understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and as best I could gave you my life. Lord, I love you. I love you and thank you for the holy privilege of being called to be a pastor for all these years to have experienced your faithfulness even when I struggled, even when I was discouraged and filled with despair at my lowest moment when I even despaired of life itself, you were there with me and for me. Oh, Jesus, how I love you. And how I love your church, Jesus, just as you love the church. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us today 
let us have ears to hear what you are saying to us, what Jesus is speaking to his church. And God, I pray for the faith and the courage uh, to respond obediently and faithfully to whatever you ask of us. Lord, help us to be a church that loves you wholeheartedly. And this we pray in your name. Amen. Have you forgotten? While I was preparing this message a little over a week ago, uh, I made my way down the hallway from my office to Shannon's office to tell her something really important. But when I got to her desk, I forgot what it was. And I just stood there and stared at her and I said, I had something important to tell you, but I can't remember what it was. I'm going to go back to my office. When I think of it, I'll come back and see you. And as soon as I got to my desk down the hallway, I remembered. So I turned around and I came back to her office and I said, I remembered what I was supposed to tell you. I'm, I'm supposed to give you the sermon title for Doug to put on the sign, but I can't remember what it was. So I turned around and went back to my office again to try to look it up. And then it hit me. The sermon title is, Have You Forgotten? <laughs> I'm not making that up. And it's just occurred to me time and time again that we human beings are forgetful creatures, aren't we? And the older we get, the harder it is to remember things. When I was training in seminary, I did a mentored ministry placement at a nursing home in Richmond. I think it was Kenwood House was the name of it. And for three months, I visited on a Sunday afternoon for about two and a half hours with the residents there, and I led a simple worship service. The, the visitation part of that was very meaningful to me. And there was an African-American couple, cannot remember the woman's name. His name was Cleo who were brother and sister, and they shared a room together. Cleo was approaching 90 years of age, um, and his sister uh, was a bit younger, but she had Alzheimer's, dementia, and uh, had very little uh, cogn cognitive skills left. Her speech was just mumbled gibberish. It didn't make sense to me at all. It sounded like a baby talking. But whenever you took... Cleo and his sister in their wheelchairs down to the dining room where we had our worship service, she sang out like a bird. She knew the words to every single hymn we sang and sang them in tune and sang them perfectly. And so as I failed to mention in the first service, um, I actually did a project that semester as part of my mentored ministry on memory and hymnody uh, and, and how you can actually break through and reach persons who are struggling with dementia by singing hymns to them. There's something about the brain. There's a part of the soul, if you will, that cannot be denied. These songs of the faith that have been learned from childhood. We're smarter than cats and dogs, but not by much. We... we we remember a few things, but we forget a lot, and we forget important things. Several years ago, I met with a couple whose marriage was in crisis because of infidelity. Uh, the husband had discovered a string of explicit text 
on his wife's phone that had been sent to another man. And he was devastated. When I met with them for the first time together, he became very sorrowful and began to weep and to cry. And then he got angry, saying in a very loud voice with tears running down his cheeks, he looked at his wife and said, Why did you do this to us? And without showing any emotion, I will never forget her response. She said, I think I forgot how much you love me. I think I forgot how much you love me. Why do we sometimes forget things as important as love? Why do we forget things that are so important to our health and and our life and our happiness and even our salvation? Why are human beings so forgetful of first things? I've thought a lot about how we've forgotten the importance of national unity in our, in our country, of finding common ground, of working together for the common good, of finding ways, creative ways to bridge the divide between us politically, racially, economically, our religious differences. No one seems to know how to do that anymore. Did we forget about that? Did we forget about World War II and how our nation partnered with allies in Europe to defeat one of the greatest evils to ever threaten the earth? Did we forget about 9-11 where we vowed that we would never let anyone destroy our resolve to be one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all? We men... Dads, we forget the terrible pain of not having a father. Some of us had dads that left us, they abandoned our families, they divorced our mothers, or they simply were so consumed by their own stuff, by their jobs and their careers, that that we didn't have much of a father, if, if one at all. And then we grow up and we do the same thing. Do we forget about the pain And the loss that created in us the the denial of our fundamental manhood because we didn't have a dad who was present for us. And so it undermines our love and our commitment to our own children. God help us. Why do we forget that? We all sometimes forget the words of our baptismal vows, of our church membership vows. Those vows were made to God. They were made before God's people. Do they they have meaning still or have we forgotten them? What have you forgotten? Where have you put your relationship with God and others in jeopardy because you've stopped remembering God's love and God's good gifts? Jesus knew how forgetful his followers would be on the night before his crucifixion. He gathered his disciples in an upper room and he gave them holy communion to remind them not to forget how much he loved them. And so for nearly 2,000 years, the church has, has... Repeatedly, sometimes week by week, certainly month by month, we have gathered as a community of faith to remember His love. And yet as we look at this church here in Revelation chapter 2, 
we see that they had forgotten about love. About His love. About their love for Jesus. Now here's the thing that's interesting. Before we rush to judgment on Ephesus, we need to understand that by today's standards, this church would have seemed to be a very successful church, not unlike our own. I mean, they were located in a prosperous port city of about 200,000 people, maybe upwards of, of a quarter of a million people. I've walked through the, the ruins of the streets of Ephesus. Those of you that go on the cruise with us this fall will do the same. It, it is incredible. Such a beautiful city. Uh, and, and the town was built on a hillside that made its way down to this beautiful port where a, a magnificent Colosseum arena was built on this natural slope on a hill. There was a temple there that, that was the size of two football fields to the Greek goddess Athena, or Artemis, excuse me, called Diana. And, and this temple was magnificent, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a pagan city, but in the midst of it there, there was this church, this church that had been founded about 30 years earlier by the Apostle Paul. Now, when Jesus speaks to the church through the revelation that John received, Ephesus was doctrinally sound and intolerant of false teaching. They apparently were very healthy and very functional as churches go. Uh, at one time, the Holy Spirit was deeply at work in Ephesus. We see that in Acts chapter 19 and 20 where Paul's ministry is described as being mighty and powerful, where the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed in the lives of many. Uh, Ephesus had a growing, vibrant church at one time. And when Paul left Ephesus, he commended them to God. And, and the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 20 that, that with the elders they had this very emotional, tearful departure because Paul did not expect to see these people again even though he had spent three years with them. The foundation that Paul laid for this church remained intact in many ways, it seems, which was carried on by Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, who was a pastor and teacher at Ephesus and later their first bishop, tradition says. But here in Revelation 2, Jesus says here, I commend you for the good things that you're doing, for your good works, for all that you're doing in your community. You're making a difference, Jesus is saying to them. Good on you. You're hardworking. You're patient, enduring in times of hardship and difficulty. He also commends them for not tolerating evildoers, wicked people, for, for not tolerating uh, liars and untruth, false apostles. He commends them for not giving up even though they are weary. These are all good things Jesus says about the church. But, but... But, he says, I've got something against you. He says, you have abandoned the love that you had for me at the beginning. Undoubtedly talking about those years gone by when Paul was among them, when their faith was fervent and, and, and passionate. He says, that's gone now. You are a very busy church. 
You have succumbed to distraction and temptations that coincidentally we have today in the church. They were so busy doing things for Jesus, I believe, that they forgot to take time to simply be with Him and to love Him and to worship Him. The first love of a Christian, the first love of a church has to be our love for Jesus. We've got to love it more than game night. We've got to love it more than uh, committee meetings. Who loves committee meetings? Raise your hand. What? We don't have a witness? Randy does. And Randy does a good job leading one. Good on you, Randy. Um, there are lots of things that we love. We like food at church, don't we? We love the potlucks. We love the Wednesday night dinners. We, we love the fellowship. We may love the music and, and the coming together as the body of Christ. But our first love, as we saw last week, the first and greatest commandment is this deep abiding, our whole being kind of devotion to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second commandment Jesus said there in Mark 12 that is also great is, is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And apparently at, at Ephesus they were failing to do both of those. So what does Jesus say to them? There's three words I want to leave with you this morning. The first thing he says that they need to remember. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. From what you have fallen. Abandoning your first love means, Jesus says, forsaking me. That is strong language. It means forsaking me in lieu of the good works and the doctrinal purity and all these other things that are good about you, your life has lost sight of the first thing, the first love, the first importance. He says, remember that. Uh, keep in mind as we go through these, these letters, as I preach on each one of these churches, and, and uh, Jeremy's going to help me with that, that the church is not a building. You know, people will sometimes they'll tell me, Oh, you have such a beautiful church. You think they're talking about you? Huh? No, they're not talking about you. They're talking about the facade, the building, the facilities that we do all this stuff in, that we worship in. That's what they say is beautiful. But the church is not a building, is it? Is it? No, it is people. It is the people that gather in that building, a community of faith. And in the case of Ephesus, it's not only the church um, that had lost its love by name, it is the people in that church. So when we talk about this issue and all these other issues that surface, we're talking about individuals who are disciples of Jesus, who make up the body of Christ, the family of God, this community of faith. And over time, people... People can drift away from Jesus. Who believes that? Think it's possible for your love to grow kind of cold or maybe lukewarm? Of course it is. I've experienced that. And I know lots of people who, who have admitted to that. This couple that came to me in crisis several years ago because of the infidelity of the wife, 
Um, as I began to probe and ask questions in the weeks that followed, I discovered that at the root of, of, of this temptation that overwhelmed the wife was this drifting in their relationship. They, they had drifted apart from one another. They had gotten so busy with other things, with raising kids and pursuing careers and community activities, etc., that they had failed to nurture the love the first love, the romance, the passion that they once enjoyed in their relationship. And so when a co-worker took notice of this woman and began to flirt with her, and she began to flirt with him, one thing led to another, and it led to this immoral relationship. And that can happen to the body of Christ. And it is immoral when we drift away from Jesus. Jesus is not happy ever when we fail to love him with our whole being. I ran across a, a survey that was used in a church on this very topic this past week. And the church was asking the small groups that were studying the book of Revelation, has there been a time when you may have forsaken your first love for Christ and his people? What contributed to losing your passion for God and people. Do any of these resonate with you? Number one, I grew bored. I lost interest in following God and serving the church. Anybody ever gotten bored with church? Yeah, I have. I'm the pastor. And there's been times when I have been bored with my job. There have been a few Sundays in 36 years where I've become bored with worship and didn't feel like I had anything to say worth listening to on Sunday morning. So boredom uh, is, is a symptom of this drift, this relational drift with Jesus. Another, people get wounded. Someone hurt me in the past and I'm leery of it happening again. Have you ever been wounded in church? Oh yeah, lots of people. In fact, I could, I could make a long list of people that have left this church over the years because they've been deeply wounded by someone else in the church. And some of those people have stopped going to church. And a few have stopped believing in Jesus because the wounds are so deep. Number three, I became distracted by something else. My schedule is full of good things, but I don't make time to pursue the best things. Loving God and serving people. I've been in conversation with a young man in our church who has been kind of AWOL for the last year, shows up two or three times a year with his family. They used to be here every single Sunday. He's admitted to me that they are, they are going a thousand different directions. And he knows that their spiritual priorities are messed up and that needs to change. They need to change directions as a family. But then he said to me, but you know, my church has not really been meeting my needs lately. And I wanted to take him by the collar and shake him. I thought if you're coming three or four times a month, what do you think your church can do for you? How fed, how encouraged do you think you can be if you only show up when your calendar of, is clear of everything else that you're doing in life? I mean, that really irks me, quite frankly. That there are people who complain about the church as though it was a convenience store or Walmart or whatever, a restaurant 
where the food just doesn't taste as good as it used to. Um, so we become distracted and full of other good things. And so Jesus tells the 